You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 150. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you like to find your podcasts. You can find us there. Leave us a review if the platform allows it or a thumbs up or whatever it allows. All right. Make sure to uh, head to the website at whizzlewizzlewizzlecodingblocks.net where you can find show notes, examples, discussion, and more. And send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments uh, <laughs> at codingblocks.net. And follow us on Twitter at codingblocks. Or head to dubwizzlew.codingblocks.net and find all our other social links there at the top of the page. And if that's not confusing enough, I'm Alan Underwood. <laughs> And uh okay, that was that wasn't really Alan. He sounds, <laughs> he sounds kind of a lot like that. Sorry, Alan. But uh he couldn't be with us today. I'm sorry, I'm j- sorry to let you down. I'm just Ozak. <laughs> and I am Michael Outlaw. <sighs> this episode is sponsored by Datadog. The cloud scale monitoring and analytics platform for ensuring the health and performance of your databases. And Linode. Simplify your infrastructure and cut your cloud bills in half with Linode's Linux virtual machines. All right. And today we're going to be talking about the people and groups behind uh, open source projects and why they do the things they do. But first, a little bit of news. All right. So as we, uh, have as is tradition we like to say thank you to those that uh took time out of their busy day to leave us a review so on itunes we have at k roll 242 and code turtle so thank you very much uh indeed thank you very much and uh, a couple big things going on the week this podcast is coming on actually uh i'm going to be presenting at the san diego elastic meetup on tuesday january 19th and I'll be talking about Scaffold and Kubernetes and, of course, a lot of Elastic. Uh, so that's virtual. So uh, you can check that out. I'll have a link. And then uh, the, the Coding Blocks game jam is also this week, uh, the 21st to 24th. Uh, it's awesome. You should just go sign up. Even if you've never made a game before and you don't know how, all you have to do to participate in this, uh, this game jam is uh, you have to want to. Yeah. So, uh, we had, what was, oh, cause we had, was this old in here about the upcoming keyboard reviews? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. We'll say it anyways, though, cause there's still upcoming keyboard reviews. Uh, I know Alan's been working on those. Uh, uh, I think he was, I think he said he, he was, had like the video done for some of it, but he was just trying to finish it up, but whatever. So, uh, you know, if you've been following along, especially in our Slack channel, then you know, that we purchased an obscene amount of uh, ergonomic keyboards. Basically, if you've ever seen any keyboard review of like all the craziest designs out there or ones that were like just ridiculously expensive or whatever, like we bought a slew of them and we're going to be doing a review of them and seeing like, uh, you know, kind of like a a keyboard shootout, see which one uh, actually lives up to, uh, you know, it's claim. So you can find, you, you can watch, uh, for those to come out on, uh, my favorite destination to look for, to, to go to, to get to them is uh codingblocks.net slash YouTube. But, um, you know, if you prefer to go to youtube.com slash coding blocks, you're welcome to. Yep. You're welcome. <laughs> 
All right. Well, let's get into the episode. So uh, I wrote a couple of questions. I thought it might be kind of fun to kind of mix uh, through here. So I uh, I want to talk a little bit about what uh, open source means, but not the definition. Like I've got a couple of definitions written down here, but when you think the average developer, uh, the average developer hears open source, what do you think they think of? Free software. Yeah, that's what I think too. And so um, there's a uh, you know a lot of debate over what's truly open source, and there's a lot about licensing. We talked about that way back in in episode three, but uh, I've got a couple of formal definitions. I just thought that was that was interesting. Kind of you know that's that's what I kind of think too. Even though I know better, my <laughs> first you know like an instinct is open source is free, and like I even find myself like I'll say to my boss like oh don't worry it's open source or you know it's free. And then I realized, like, you know, is it? <laughs> I should probably go check. Just because it's free doesn't mean I can do whatever I want with it. And depending on your uh, definition of open source, just because it's open source doesn't mean you can necessarily distribute it or use it however you want. Well, I always, I, I, you know, I said that jokingly because, like, uh, in my mind, where I go with it is, you know, okay, sure, even if there isn't a license cost for it, there's definitely a support and maintenance, you know, human oh, factor. Too. Right. And sometimes just because, uh, you know, that, that, that might be more difficult depending on what the project is, uh, you know, that might be more difficult for you to, to find support for, uh, you know, versus like some big company that's just like, Hey, I'm selling this thing. And if you, uh, if you buy it, you know, I will give you this support along with it. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's like, well, you know, do you want your cost up front with the license? And maybe there's, you know, depending on how the, the software is purchased, there might be a lot of uh, add-on um, support or, or, or maybe not so much. But, you know, or you just want it in the long form of paying for the support. But, you know, again, that's going to vary based on the project, too. Because, like, you know, if you're talking about, like, something like a React, for example, like, there's a, there's a truckload of React developers and yeah, you know, they, they can be found, right? So that's not going to be difficult, but yeah, I hear it's quite hot. Yeah, I've I've heard a thing or two about it. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, what got me kind of started on this path is uh, I was thinking about the upcoming game jam, and I was thinking oh, about nope, how you said I it wrong. To make jam, 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 you wary. <laughs> Very good. Uh, so it got me thinking. I was like, well, it'd be nice if I could open source the code. So, you know, people want to see or whatever, fork it or mess around with, like, that'd be fun. But the assets is always a problem. So I like to use paid assets because I just like to be looking at cool things. So my first instinct was, well, I'll just find some free assets. But just because it's free doesn't mean I can distribute it. So if I go find someone's free assets that uh, they're gifting to me to use for a project, doesn't mean that I can take it and go put it on my GitHub. It definitely doesn't mean I can take it and go sell it. You know, that there's... Uh, like there's a whole lot of issues around licensing and whatnot. So I just wanted to kind of call it out. Like that's how we got started down this path. And like, it's, uh, it's tricky. And like, even if you know what you can do and you can't do, it's still possible to make mistakes. Well, so there's open source, but then there's licensing and the licensing is what makes it complicated. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. And a lot of times if you go to like a website and download some, you know, some free utilities, uh, you you won't find a license, so it gets even kind of weirder. And so, uh, you know, I I don't really know what the answers are. It's uh, it's hard to really police and kind of enforce that sort of thing. But you know, I think it's still valuable to think about. But you just have to be careful. Like it's it, you could see how someone with a like a 
you know, a bad actor could go and like download all the free assets from the internet and sell them in one big bundle. And, uh, that feels pretty slimy. Uh, and they may or may not be able to do that based on where they got those assets from, which is kind of funky. I mean, yeah, you just assume that they couldn't, but people do shady stuff all the time. So, I mean, shady people are going to do shady stuff, whatever. Yep. So uh, I got two two definitions here. Um, one is from opensource.org. And their definition is open source software made by many people and distributed under an open source an OSD compliant license, which grants all the rights to use, study, change, and share the software in modified and unfo- unmodified form. Uh, and so, t- I mean, to me, that makes it sound like, you know, that's closest to kind of my definition of it. Uh, opensource.com has a different one, uh, which says basically it commonly refers to software that uses an open development process and is licensed to include the source code. That that development process is what kind of trips me up and that kind of starts uh, dipping its toe into like governance and how projects are run. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I got a, I got a dumb question for you though. You uh-huh. said that it, from the opensource.org, um, Open source software is software. Yeah. Open source software is made by many people and distributed under an OSD compliant license. So an on-screen display compliant license. <laughs> I don't think that, uh, I don't think that's what they meant. Uh, so open source definition. Oh gosh. It gets into free redistribution source code derived works. Um, it goes on and I'm definitely not a, a lawyer. Is it? I'm assuming that it would be like something like open source distribution. Like what? What does the OSD stand for? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Open source. Uh, open source definition. Oh, it's open source definition compliant. Okay. Yep. And they have a bunch of licenses that they list that uh, they say are uh, <laughs> are uh, allowed, and it gets weird and funky really fast if you start going down this path. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, so according to opensource.com, then it's not, it's only open source if it's using a, a open development process. Yeah. But so for example, if you imagine like, uh, I'm just going to pick a corporation, like, uh, I'm going to make one up, uh, or <laughs> pepsi.com, like okay. they make soda. Uh, they release a product, that, uh, lets you, uh, I don't know, 3d print Pepsi bottles, uh, but uh, the software for running that uh, doesn't have an open development process, which just means every once in a while they go and they dump the code to GitHub and they have an open source license that lets you use it. I would say that doesn't work. That doesn't count as open source software because according to the definition from opensource.com, they're not using an open development process. There's no real feedback from the community there. There's no contributions taken. They just come and dump the code every once in a while. Yeah. And I think um, that's that's where things get weird when um, sometimes people talk about like individual companies like um, you know Elastic's one example where they they run Elasticsearch which is built on Lucene and there's like various li- like layers of licensing there that gets kind of confusing and uh, people have made the case sometimes that like maybe Elasticsearch shouldn't be considered open source because you've got this one company that's kind of guiding and steering it and they can refuse contributions from people that. Uh, don't have features they want to add there in their, their, uh, the company's 
that aren't in the company's interest. So um, people made the argument that, for example, Elastic wasn't adding security to the product because they wanted to upsell you. And they were, they people made the claim that Elastic was doing things like uh, dissuading contributions around security because they didn't want it to compete with their product. Hmm. Yeah. So that actually happened though. I didn't know that. I didn't realize that actually happened. Yeah. And then uh, Amazon came out with uh, open distro elastic search, which added in a bunch of the features and article. Like, well, this is actually open source. And that's one of uh, Amazon's few notable uh, open source projects. Huh. Awkward to say the least. Interesting. Yep. So uh, I have a fun little section here. So, I thought it might be. So just to wrap that up, though, just because you make the source available doesn't mm-hmm. make it open source, according to these definitions. Yeah. But if you were to ask your average developer in the street, we would say probably if, well, it's, on, if it's on GitHub. It's yeah. Well, I mean, source. even according to the open source.org definition, if you yourself created a project put it up on GitHub and we're developing and making it available. And even if you did have a license, that wouldn't necessarily be considered open source per their definition because Maybe it's not. not by many people. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's weird. Um, I never would have thought, I would have never thought about this in this kind of detail. Yeah. No, I actually went to look at that. Remember we talked about the, uh, GitHub state of the Octoverse survey. Yep. Uh, so I went through, uh, their documents trying to figure out if they ever listed how many open source, uh, projects were on the website. And I did find an article from them back in, uh, 2018 where they didn't mention they passed a hundred billion projects, but they kind of stay away from calling them open source or not because how, how can you really tell? Especially if we're saying it has to have an open development process, like, well, What's open, what's not? Right, right. Yeah. How do I tell? I don't know. All right, well, hit me with this quiz. All right, and this is, um, you know, don't worry about getting the right answers. I mean, this is just more oh, I'm gonna um, get the right kind of word association. I'm going to get the right answers. <laughs> All right. Uh, who, uh, who, who created Linux? You mean like the person, like Linus? Or are we talking about, yeah. I mean, like, why are you looking at me like this? No, I'm just uh, I'm curious. Uh, what, like, who else would you think uh, to mention here? I didn't know where you were going. Uh, I, I mean, that he's my answer. Yes. Yeah, and uh, that's why I kind of tried to phrase it like, uh, oh, just okay. just consider it a word association because like, like every single one of these gets t- tricky. Like, if you're going to talk about Linus, it's hard not to talk about like, oh. the GNU. I've also heard you know? it pronounced Linus though. Have you ever oh, heard really? it pronounced like that? No, I think, I think you're trying to trick me. I, yeah, no, I honestly, I don't, I don't know how it's supposed to be pronounced. But I mean, we know how I am with names, right? Right. I've heard, I've heard, like you know, you know, most people call say Linus, but I've also heard others say that it's supposed to be Linus. I, I've never heard him say it. I've never heard him, uh, you know, announce announce himself. So, yeah, yeah, me either. Um, what about the C language? I mean, is that supposed to be considered open source? Um, there are compilers that are open source. <clears throat> oh, so you're talking about GCC? Because C predates oh, yeah. the C language predates like things like that, right? Yeah. Like I, I don't remember who created the C language, but he recently died uh, within the last couple of years, right? Am I yeah, uh, it was Dennis Ritchie. Yeah, uh, it, and that's uh, that's a name I remember from like you know college courses, but uh, they also worked at Bell Labs at the time. So I always kind of thought it was weird that like 
we associated a person with it rather than a corporation because that's not really the the case anymore. Well, I mean, it's the same thing with JavaScript, right? Like, uh, what was his name? Brandon something, and he worked yep. for uh, Netscape. Yep. But I mean, you don't you don't talk about Netscape as being the creator of it. You talk about him. Yeah, I don't why remember is his that? last name. Because he was given like seven days to create it, and he pulled it off. Yeah, like uh, that's impressive. <laughs> that's why. Yeah. So, uh, what about Python? Oh, uh, shoot. I was thinking Perl at first. I don't know. Python. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So Guido, he's kind of a middle person. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you've heard it before, you know, so like, don't like, this is not like, you're not, didn't he just like, uh, he, he was the, um, uh, in charge of the, the, the pip recently. And he, he, uh, the Supreme, oh, what what did he have that title? Uh, benevolent dictator. Yes. There you go. Benevolent dictator for life. And he recently stepped down from it. Yep, and, and oh yeah, I wanted to mention too. You know, he uh, he works at Microsoft now, by the way. Oh, okay. They snapped him up after he retired from Python. <laughs> oh, but yeah, another individual person. I want to mention too. I put together the notes for this episode, so like, I am totally. If that sounds like I know these things, it's because I looked it up. Uh, now we're going to start getting into uh, more recent stuff. What about Git? Git. Yeah, I mean that that's Linus again. Okay. Uh, what about C Sharp? I mean, that's just Microsoft. I don't think of that as any one individual. Yeah. Yep. So there's definitely, a, they had a director, you know, Anders Hels- Helsberg, uh, however you pronounce the name. I, and I had to look that up. I didn't know that. Um, apparently he does some work on F sharp, but like, I think most people, if you say C sharp, what hops to your mind is Microsoft, right? Okay. Yeah. I agree. Uh, what about Java? Uh, Java was Sun. Yep. I don't remember an individual person. Yeah. So Sun, um, you know, it was like maybe, I don't know, 90s. So okay, it's kind of like in the 70s, 80s, early 90s, like definitely if an open source project came out, it was associated to a person. And then things start kind of changing. So if I say Kubernetes. Google. Yeah. Uh, Postgres. <sighs> Dang. Um, I don't know. I don't know Postgres. Yeah. Uh, their last name is Stonebreaker. I, I would have remembered that if I had heard that person's name. Huh. Uh, what about React? Uh, Facebook. Rust. Ooh. Uh, dang. Uh, I, first, Google came to mind first, but then like, no, that's Go that I'm wanting to think of. I, I don't know. Yeah, you got Go, so I'll uh, I'm working one off the list. So uh, that's actually the the Mozilla Foundation, ah. which is funded heavily by Google. Yep, and uh, we got a couple more uh, Flutter. Oh. Uh. No, I don't know. Yeah, I just tried to go with something recently. That's Google. Uh, TypeScript. Microsoft. Okay. Uh, what about Chromium? Oh, that is not Google, right? But that's what Google based Chrome on. I think they released Chromium. Did they? Uh, Google sponsored project. They sponsored a project called Chromium to build this thing. Oh, but it was... but. Okay, but I mean, it, it started out as like a, like Chromium is just an open source thing, and then they they have a version of that called Chrome. Yep, and it just so happens that they funded the original project. <clears throat> okay, I didn't realize that. Yeah, I didn't know either. I had to look it up. Um, so one last one for you. What about Vue? Vue, the JavaScript library. Yep. Uh, huh. 
I thought, I mean, that one I didn't think was a company, but yeah, it was correct. a guy who left, who, who was, he worked f- on React and left it and started View, if I remember correctly, but I can't remember yep. his name. It's Evan Yu, and that's another one you know, I, had, I had to look up. I'm, not just, I'm just not in that ecosystem. Uh, so uh, I'll go ahead and paste those in the notes now so you can kind of see. Yeah, there were a couple I didn't ask. Uh, cause I oh, I see. I, I got them all right. Hey, yeah, you got me. them all right, hundred <laughs> percent. But uh, do you see what I mean about how there's there was kind of a shift at some point where we stopped kind of like pulling these kind of heroes out of history, and even when they were at companies that funded the projects, and we started kind of moving more into like kind of corporate faces for these entities. Yeah, yeah, which is kind of interesting. And even like things like Chromium, like you associate it with a company Google, but technically it's this other project. Right. Right. And you see a lot of that kind of stuff going on with uh, various foundations, which we're going to be talking about here. But I mean, there were two big ones in that list, though, that were not, uh, you know, contributed to it or, or um, attributed to an to a corporation, and that was Postgres and Vue. Yeah, yeah, and Postgres is yeah newer, and Vue is like the most recent example of something I could think of, like where there's a person's name associated with a like a top tier open source project that. Everyone's heard of. And really, even Git isn't that old. No. Probably just 20 years or so. <laughs> is it even that 2011 old? 2011 is when. Yeah, 2011 would sound more right. Yeah, I forget. We As looked we this up. Uh, run off to the internet. Uh, 2005 uh, is when it started. Yeah, that sounds that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, 15 years old. So yeah, um, you know, it's kind of interesting to kind of think about that shift a little bit. And we'll we'll get into that a little bit more coming up. Um, I found a really cool project where uh, this person it looks like once a day they actually go through and scrape uh, was like the top. Uh, I, f- I forget now. Uh, the top hundred stars list of different languages. So they go through Python, C sharp, uh, JavaScript, and they look at the top hundred uh, libraries. So we've got a list here. We'll have it in the show notes. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily anything, we, you know, we don't need to go through all these lists, but um, I did think uh, the top hundred stars across all languages was really interesting. Uh, Free Code Camp is number one. Okay. So maybe based on a lot of classes that they have going on. Yeah. People end up starring it. I can see that. Have you ever heard about 996 ICU? <clears throat> uh, I think, uh, I think you got, some a hack or something like you got did you go somewhere on the internet you shouldn't have you downloaded something <laughs> you weren't supposed to oh uh, well, apparently uh you're you're not far off <laughs> just kidding uh the name 996 icu refers to work by 996 sick in icu which is a uh, like a an ironic saying that i don't understand uh among chinese developers uh, nine nine six. I think it maybe is if you multiply twenty four by seven. Is that what it is? Oh, nine to nine, six days a week. Yeah. So, um, I don't quite understand what this uh project is, but it has a whole lot of stars. Okay, so maybe that one's got like a a large international following, and because we don't understand the reference there. Yep. Maybe it's got some cultural significance. I mean, I do see yep. that uh, internationalization is part of the project, right? Right. Away. Yeah, and it's got got quite a lot of stars. Uh, View is number three. Finally, one, one I've that, heard of. Yeah, single person up there too. 
And then as it goes on, like uh, free programming books, coding interview, uh, university, things like that. TensorFlow. Come on, say it. There you go. Yep. Who's TensorFlow? Is that Google? Uh, yes. Originally, that, that would be my guess. If we were still, if we were still doing the the uh, guess, the guessing game, TensorFlow was Google, is my understanding. Yeah, I think so. Uh, uh, yeah, that probably don't run <laughs> it, it now. TensorFlow was originally developed by researchers and engineers working on the Google Brain team within Google's machine learning, uh, or I'm sorry, machine intelligence research organization. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So, yeah. And then, here you go with number 10. Go ahead. Say it. Oh, I wasn't looking. Boots, uh, no. Oh, my Z shell. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> There. Uh, <laughs> I, I was surprised at just how many of those I did not know. Yeah, well, some of these seem like okay. So, so the free code camp, the free programming books, the coding interview university. I mean, some of these just look like they were from developer resources, right? Like uh, developer roadmap, and you don't know JS. Yep. Uh, th- those seem like you know just developer resources. So anybody who's learning or, or studying from one of those resources is likely to go and star that so that they can go back to it. So that made sense. Yeah. Shows you just how influential uh, learning resources are. Yeah. And what some of the favorite ones are. Yeah. And, and how influential GitHub is to people starting their journey, you know? Yeah. Oh that's yeah. How. That's a great point too. Cause if you were yeah. just starting to learn how to code and your first, uh, you know, use of, of, uh, source control with Git or GitHub yep. rather. So if you were to like buy GitHub, like Microsoft did, like maybe a part of you wanting to buy GitHub has a lot to do with how developers interface with work with software. Well, I mean, yeah, if you think about it for, um, I mean, there used to be, I don't know how true you could say this is today, but I remember like you used to be able to easily classify like, you could lump Apple in one side and Microsoft in the other. And, and it was Apple was the, the company and, you know, the hardware and software tailored towards the creative individuals. And Microsoft was the hardware and software tailored towards, uh, developers, right? Yep. I'm a PC. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe spreadsheet users. Yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, I don't know how true you could say that is for, especially for Apple, you know, anymore, um, in regards to, in, in regards to like the creative, uh, software that's kind of like, you know, seems to have dwindled some in recent yeah. years. Yeah. We looked at, uh, the open source projects by Apple and Swift was the, the biggest one. I forget what number. No, no, no. Was. I thought the biggest one was the LVVM. The, uh, the LLVM project. Wasn't that, was that wrong? Uh, no, you are right. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That, Cause okay. that, that's, that predates, uh, Swift by a long shot. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Well, um, here's, uh, here's something I'm going to do. Like how much open source software runs on your iPhone? Oh, geez. Uh, yeah. I mean, I would have to say the majority of it. I mean, that, cause the, the, that was like one of the things when the jobs was kind of like, you know, uh, credited for when he came back. Right. Cause he had, 
when he was kicked out of Apple, he started another company called Next. And all it was was they were using like a a BSD distribution, uh, uh, you know, Linux type distribution, or I don't know, you really call it Linux, but you know, Unix type distribution, and then putting their own uh, UI on it. And then Apple bought Next, and that's what they used for uh, the underlying OS X platform, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's still like a BSD underneath with their very pretty UI on top of it. So I would imagine that like because of that, like all the guts of the operating or a lot of the guts of the operating system are open source still to the yeah. day. And that would include, you know, uh, even things like the Apple Watch or the iPhone or the iPad because they're technically just all, you know, scaled down versions of that OS with a different UI on top. Yeah, so that's a big part. Also, the apps you run, like how many of those use open source libraries or tools or like, forget about it. Uh, So I went and tried to like look up a stat to see like, you know, how many big companies or Fortune 500 or something are using open source. And uh, the results were all over the place. Uh, The numbers that people would use, the way they used it, like the way they would try to calculate that number to figure that out and what they counted, not... It was just really messy and nasty, so I didn't end up linking to any of them. They were all a bunch of uh, not great articles, really. But it got me thinking, it's like, how the heck can you not use open source? Well, I was going to say, I, I've got a bet for you. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I bet you that you cannot go to, you cannot find any website that doesn't use open source. Yeah, yeah. The, and I don't mean like, I'm going to go and create like a, a hello world HTML, raw HTML page. And that's it. I mean, I'm talking about like, you know, a website that's actually used by, by people like something on it. I guarantee you it has some kind of, even if it's like, you know, a tracking pixel or something that somebody else created or something like they've got something on there that I guarantee you they're using some open source for. Yep. So we, you know, we've joked about like the node modules uh, being so oh, big and geez. so many for like just a new project for like anything like, you know, Angular side or something, React uh, billions. And you think about like the browser and how many open source libraries it uses and like open SSH and, you know, all just the various underlying tools are used for everything like certificates, I mean, rendering. And then you think about the operating system and all the various open source libraries and tools and uh, it's just ex- exhausting. But I mean, it's, just huge. How much longer do you think it's going to be before Microsoft just gives up and makes Windows open source? I I don't know. I don't I don't know that that would be that crazy. I mean, people people predicted that you know I I'm sure if you were to like rewind the clock that there were people that had predicted that they would have already gone full on open source by now and haven't. So you know the fact that they still haven't. Yeah, I mean, maybe they could go another twenty. Who knows? Yeah, uh, I, you know, the, um, their their CEO, uh, what's his name, um, Nadal Bomber, uh, no, Satya. no, Sasha, uh, yeah, he he had said, um, you know, he was putting more emphasis on their cloud efforts like Azure than he was on. Uh, Windows and Office, because there for the longest time, like Windows and Office w- were the bread and butter of that company. Yep. 
So. Yeah, and their their stock's been doing really nice. Uh, ever since he took over, it's been doing fantastic. You know, um, uh, I was looking at like Bomber quotes. He compared Linux to a cancer. Uh, he talked about communism in reference to open source, and uh, cancer came up a few times. Uh, and toxic, destroying value. Uh, it's just and and uh, it's crazy. Is as crazy as as he sounds for saying that though. He has like an amazing foundation now. Um. Shoot, what was it? Um, what's the name of it? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, Bomber Group? USAFacts.org. Have oh, you that's ever, him? Yeah, have you, have you ever seen this thing? No, it's just facts? <clears throat> it's just, he he started this thing, like this has been his thing since he left Microsoft. Uh, it's just free, freely available government data that nobody really did anything with and he started visualizing it and it is awesome some of the some yeah, of the see, stuff like, that he's done with it geez gdp i mean i was just the gdp and there's like maybe 50 graphs on this page uh yeah going back years yeah he he's he's done a really good job with it, it it's it's really cool but it's usafacts.org in fact um wow let me say that yeah and every one of these graphs sure is like Hey, uh, click here to download the data. Go nuts. Yeah. What can you do? Yeah. I mean, this was, this was all like, you know, freely available. He just visualized it and it's, it's really good. Like there was one when he first launched this. Um, well, I take that back. It wasn't when he first launched it, but it was when I first heard about it when he was promoting it uh, a while back. And it was, it was years ago and it was about how, um, you know, like what does, uh, you know, how, how much does your government really cost you kind of thing? You know, and it was breaking it down. It was like, um, like you could see how much each individual part of the government, you know, cost, but, but then you could like zoom out and see the aggregate numbers and then starts, you know, zooming back in. And it was a really cool visualization of it, you know, just to see like, Oh, that's, that's how much that cost. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I'm look, right now I'm looking at firefighter injuries. So, you know, since 1980, firefighter injuries are down by like half. That's awesome. The number of firefighters is actually up by 10%. That's cool. Now you know. <laughs> so if you're looking for uh, something, uh, you know, an idea for uh, an open source project, this is a great place to just go browse and see if you can do something cool. Yeah. Uh, every article I did find that we're all basically saying like, you know, all the corporations are moving towards open source. But yeah, like we said, it's, it's kind of hard not to, and so it's really hard to figure out how to count things. And uh, as far as proprietary software and what companies are running on the servers, like they don't really talk about that. You know, it's not public public knowledge in a lot of cases. So, good luck. I mean, can you imagine? Remember the the Intel Inside days? You know, like, and you would nope. see that that, huh? No, you're talking about like on the computer, like the sticker. Yeah. Yeah. yeah oh yeah, yeah. Double like, inside. Okay. I mean, you, you would, you would like, if you were to walk down, say like a, a row in a server, uh, server room, right? Like, I mean, you just see like Intel, 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 Intel all, yeah. like all over it. Right. Like imagine if, uh, they were, imagine if they were required to include the, uh, open source license that, you know, was in use, all of the open source licenses that were in use on, on each server. Now, as you oh walk by, like you would trip, you couldn't, you couldn't walk down the aisle because of all the, the different li- licenses. 
Yeah, you know, actually, I went looking. I was like, uh, you know, I wonder if Windows has some place that like just lists every license that's used like by Windows uh, in some sort of file. Like, it makes sense that there is one, but I couldn't find it. My computer. Oh, but speaking of Windows, you know, we talked about open source. One thing I thought about is um, they have such a big emphasis on backwards compatibility and security that it might be a little weird to like release software that like I don't know maybe is there for backwards compatibility reasons, but has security vulnerabilities that haven't been found. So maybe I don't know companies wouldn't be too too interested in them releasing that. I mean, but why? Because because they don't want to upgrade XP. <laughs> But I mean, how many companies use Linux? Well, and yeah, that's I mean, so, freely available. That's open yeah, source. Yeah, so the argument is that you release it, and then people find those vulnerabilities, and we plug those holes. You got more eyes on it, and things end up better for you know. But that all kind of relies on those companies also upgrading that software when a fix comes out. And we've got so many cases where like companies are running XP or you know ancient versions of Windows, like Windows and they can't upgrade or don't want to. Yeah, I mean. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I I definitely agree with, you know, it doesn't do you any good to have to release the open source if you're not going to uh, allow for contributions because your greatest chance of having other people to help you like find those problems is because they're incentivized because they know that they're, you're going to take their, their commit. Right. Yeah. Um, but there's also something to be said too about from a security point of view about uh, it, it being, you know, code being available to uh, be reviewed by security experts and to be, to get like a, an audit done. Do you remember, um, what was that? Uh, was the it called true crypt? Yeah. Uh, yeah. True crypt. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and they finally, you know, uh, went through an audit for that and it turned out like, Hey, there were some legit problems with it. Yep. It it wasn't as uh, you know, flawless as everybody had hoped that it would be. Yeah, but yeah, I've heard about them when they took a hard look at like open SSH and stuff a couple of years ago too. They found all sorts of problems. So just because it's open source doesn't automatically make it better. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, so I got a couple uh, like really just one big section on kind of the different people that make open source and like why they make it and the kinds of things that they make. So, uh, the first section has got kind of individual. So like when you say open source, my mind still thinks about like the individual person releasing something on the internet and kind of maintaining it and, or, you know, maybe groups of people, but I still associate open source software with individual authors and maintainers and, the projects that I think about, like if you ask me to like who makes open source, I'd be like, oh, it's the people. And then you ask me to name like ten open source projects, I'm going to name ten gigantic projects huh. run by giant foundations and companies. Yeah, you know, and there's a there's a weird disconnect there. Yeah, I I mean I think it's so it's because it's. It, as an individual trying to create some big project like that, like that's, um, I think that's going to be rare and difficult. Like, like I actually find it incredibly impressive that, uh, Linus created two amazingly, uh, popular and just awesome, uh, you know, software projects. We are on a first name basis, by the way, I forgot mm-hmm. to, I forgot to, that probably should have started with that. Um, 
but you know, I mean that, that like, you know, that, that, that's like a, you know, hit, hitting a grand slam. And then your next time at bat, you hit another grand slam again. Like that, like it's so rare to like, I would consider myself lucky if I had one major project, like I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of developers would. And, and he, he has two that he can like, you know, credit with like that are major, you know, massive, uh, that had, that, that had a profound impact on all developers around the world and how they work. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's so amazingly, you know, awesome in my, in my books, like, you know, history is going to have fond things to say of him. Well, think about if, if you were to try and run off and create the next new great open source operating system, uh, you have some stiff competition, right? Yeah. Like when, like he, when, when he created, uh, Linux, like there wasn't much of a, you know, a GUI, like I assume it was all probably command line when he started. Uh, and when you think about if you were to come up with a now, there's like the, the things that you have to implement yourself to compete with Windows and all the various flavors of Linux, it's basically impossible for a single individual to really create a new operating system uh, or a browser or, you know, the next Kubernetes. Like Kubernetes is like a billion lines of code. Uh, you just can't do it as an individual. You have to work with others. Yeah. I mean, or some of the, some of those great ideas are just like you said with the, the, the chromium and he's like, Hey, we just, here's an idea. We're, we're happy to fund it. And, you know, um, let, let's, you know, see what happens. Like when I was like, so surprised, we talked about the, with the, uh, the Octoverse episode that, you know, there were people who were like literally paid to work on open source software. Yep. Like I didn't realize that was a thing. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, it, it, it's still very strange to me. And it's, it's, there's not a lot of optics into it. It's, uh, it's hard to see. Yeah. But, uh, I still think that there are a ton of libraries that if you were to like get, go to GitHub and just like spin a random dial and pick a random project, it's probably going to be a single author, no contributors, no stars abandoned five years ago. Um, so, you know, if we're counting that as open source, then it probably is still that individual authors write the vast majority of open source software. Uh, but if we use the definition that's worked on and open governance, uh, then that's going to probably exclude. I don't know, maybe all that stuff. Yeah. And that would change things. And so maybe you'd spin the dial and find out that, Hey, most of the open source that people actually use and participate in is actually backed by really large companies or corporations. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know, but I just, I just think it's interesting to kind of think about like reconciling what, like what you think. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, I've got a couple of articles here. We'll have some stuff in the resources. <clears throat> Yeah, there's, uh, there's going to be a lot of good links in this episode. And um, one thing I think was interesting is uh, I remember hearing that Microsoft was one of the biggest contributors to open source now. And so I went to like see exactly like what they were contributing. And it's a lot. I've got a list coming up. But VS Code is actually the number one uh, project on GitHub, which is uh, pretty interesting. So that's that's them all the way. Number two is Azure Docs. Wait, wait, wait. Count. Wait, it's uh, VS Code is the number one Microsoft project on GitHub, or it is the number one project on GitHub? Uh, number one by star. Uh, not sorry, not stars. Um, by contributors. Really? Yep. There's more contributors to that than there are to like Android or Kubernetes or 
Chromium or almost three times as many as Kubernetes. Uh, and those other ones that you mentioned aren't listed. Huh. Okay. Yep. Uh, Azure Docs is number two with 14,000. Azure Docs. Yeah, that's weird. (laughs) Oh, wait. No. At first, I thought you meant like the Microsoft documentation. Because like if you go to their documentation, the the beautiful thing about their documentation is you you see a problem or something you want to correct, there's a link right there. (laughs) Click Mm -hmm. it. And you can submit a pull request to fix it, right? But I don't know that that's what they refer to. This is literally the documentation for Azure. <laughs> it's that bad that it's the number two project. Yeah, you know, if your if your open source project has a code of conduct, then it's probably pretty big. Okay. Okay. Yep. So, yeah, I thought that was interesting. And uh, of course, Microsoft is all the normal stuff that you think of, but uh, Microsoft has several uh, other companies, which I'll keep saying. <laughs> Uh, well, it's coming up, but, uh, just thought it was kind of interesting. Um, this, just to see like how many contributors are involved in those. And so why do you think people like individuals outside of work, why do they create open source projects? The funny answer or, uh, both the real answer. Oh, I mean like really the, the, the smarty pants was thinking like, Oh, cause you know, you're just being lazy. And you're like, I don't want to learn that, but Hey, or I don't want to learn react. You already know react. How about you like jump in and do, I'm going to do all the server side stuff. No. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> People <laughs> but, just focus on the same one. But I, I think nowadays though too, it's just like so, uh, ingrained in people, you know, that, to just do everything out in the open and just like, Hey, here's my GitHub repo. And then somebody else is like, Oh, Hey, yeah, that's cool. Like, you know, like when you were learning, um, and, and experimenting with like, uh, react and, uh, elastic search and, um, you know, for the QIT project, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't intended to be like, Hey, everybody contribute. But according to these definitions, it's definitely an open source project. Cause I mean, there were like, you know, a couple dozen team. Yeah. Uh, yep. you know, people, people contributing to it. So, I mean, it's probably on here on top, uh, open source projects. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I kind of thought about like why, you know, like we looked at the, those big lists of the top ones by stars and we saw a lot of it like was just le- learning materials. So I mean, we think like part of it is maybe building cred. Like you do something in public cause private repos are, are free, but you do something in pro private or sorry, in public because, you want to start building up a portfolio because you want to get a job or do something like that. So you kind of want to build up this code cred, you know? Yeah. So that's part of it. Also, you know, maybe you have some that you want to scratch. Maybe you want to get feedback. Maybe you want to get contributors because you've got an idea for something you think it could be really good and you want help on it. I think uh, all those reasons are good reasons. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so corporations, uh, corporations, a lot of corporations have open source that are like utilities or tools for, uh, those companies. So, uh, you know, we mentioned like Microsoft having tons of projects. A lot of those are like, uh, Azure libraries or C sharp libraries or tools for interacting with our other sources, like libraries for interacting with SharePoint or office. Like you understand why they would make those open source. Like they're, you know, they're giving those things away, making it easy as possible because they want you to use their other stuff. They want it to be as easy as possible. Uh, Amazon, pretty much all of their open source projects are directly involved with AWS and making it easier to do things like APIs, uh, libraries. 
it, it it's like the uh, you know the first one's free you know yeah you get them hooked right yeah make it easy yeah so this this is just a way of keeping them hooked yep totally and uh, many open source projects are stewarded by a single company like I mentioned uh, Elastic earlier Confluent uh, does a lot of stuff with with Kafka. And uh, they don't necessarily always own, like they aren't the maintainers. They don't own the keys uh, on the GitHub, but um, they just have a, a kind of outsized influence and they offer services around those. And uh, you could see like those, the boards or the people that make the decisions for those projects are like heavily involved with the, the companies that support them. But I'm not wrong though, in that sometimes those companies are also like literally footing a bill. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, they're they're not just like uh, managing the for the heck of it. No, not at all. Like uh, we think about someone like uh, you know, I'll just kind of pick uh, Confluent out here. Um, so Confluent does not own Apache. They didn't create it. Uh, they aren't the uh, the maintainers of it now. It's a it's an Apache project that was created by LinkedIn. But Confluent sells services. They have Confluent Cloud. They have uh, some hosted stuff around it. They put out a ton of learning resources and books. And videos, and uh, if uh, like you know, like legal issues come up or arise, or uh, all deciding specific. what features come out in the next version, you know, they're heavily involved in all of that. All specific to the Kafka project. Yeah, yeah, yep. That's their their bread and butter. Everything Kafka, yeah. and they've written a lot of services around it that work together really well. Some are open source, some aren't, but uh, they have a vested interest in Kafka doing really well, and Kafka has a vested interest in having a clear leadership and steering when it comes to figuring out new versions and the direction they're going to go. Right. Like you, you can't have an open source project that just accepts any PR, any pull request, right? Someone needs to decide like, yes, this is the direction we want to go in or no, it's not. Yeah. This fits in with our, our strategic roadmap or yep. this goes against it. Yep. And so LinkedIn, when they gave that project over to Apache, they basically said, uh, at that point, we we want you to run this. We want you to pick the people that are going to make those decisions. We want you to foot the bill for hosting uh, any resources or materials for it, any marketing, all that stuff. We want you to foot that bill, and maybe we'll give you a bunch of money. You know, maybe we'll donate to in order to to, to make that work. But uh, that's such what happens. Felt that was weird, though. Like, why? Yeah. Why would a company let's let's focus on LinkedIn for a moment? Like, why give it up? Yeah. Is it because like you don't want to maintain it anymore? Like, you're like, hey, we've moved on, but here's this thing that we were using five years ago, and uh, you know, have at it. You know, do go wild with it. Or is it that they want to keep using it, but maybe they think like, hey, you know what? Uh, there's only so much creativity we are going to come out with on our own, and so maybe if we uh, let others see this thing that we're doing, then, you know, we can get, uh, you know, get, reap the benefit of other creative people that are out there in the world that, you know, don't necessarily work for us. Right. Like, yeah, I think that's probably how they phrase it is they say they want, uh, collaborators and they want more diverse opinions. And so they're happy to have a board that owns it and they'll happily take a couple seats on that board. Uh, to, in order to help steer it, but they don't need to be the ones that run it. But yeah, that that is a big question I keep having is like, why do these companies keep giving, like creating these projects and then giving them up to these foundations? I mean, think think about how weird that part of what you just said is too, though. <clears throat> like a board, right? When you think of a board, if it's not like a company's board, 
that you're thinking mm-hmm. of. And then it's like, what, an HOA board? But now we're talking about like every software project out there <laughs> like yeah. has a board to maintain it. Like that's crazy, right? Oh, well, the board doesn't maintain it. They just make the decisions. I, I, well, that's what I meant. That's what I meant. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're not necessarily the contributors, which is weird to me. Like the Apache, Apache Foundation, like if you go look at like who's on the boards for these things, and uh, Kafka or uh, Kubernetes has like special interest groups and special interest group leaders, and uh, they aren't necessarily the people committing the most code, but they've got the connections. They're able to kind of put the pieces. You know, a lot of times they're almost like project managers. Yeah, they're helping to steer the the direction to keep it on the uh, on the roadmap, right? Yep. So yeah. Interesting though. Yeah. yeah. So why do corporations? I don't know. Maybe we'll have some better answers uh, as we keep going on, but I don't know. So uh, Microsoft, I got a couple of their big projects. Uh, some .NET, you know, obviously like very closely associated with .NET. Other ones, uh, people may maybe not don't realize like Helm I is owned Helm. by. It was created by a company that Microsoft bought. Okay, that makes more sense. So it was yeah. a it was a an acquisition. Like, what do they call that? Uh, uh, aqua hire or something yeah aqua build or something yeah yep same with postgres they bought Citus, which is the company that was uh maintaining the keys to postgres whoa 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 no that's not true Citus Cy- data yes yep. microsoft bought Citus data but i didn't think that Citus data owned the keys to the postgres castle i thought that they were just uh a a add-on on top of postgres for doing like uh tenant sharding am i wrong um, let me see no i thought i thought they were the ones that actually like were maintaining kind of in the way that like conflict so maybe they don't necessarily own it but they're like you know the company who runs it oh, so who does own postgres let's go find out i'll go find the source code for it isn't it weird to like not even know where your software comes from? It's like, yeah, we trust Postgres. Like millions of people use it. Like, oh, who makes it? Like, oh, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, the official mirror is on GitHub for Postgres, but yeah, I mean, you'd have to go to the Postgres SQL.org itself, though. But even then, I don't know. You're gonna see. Who owns it? Yeah. I don't know how to even tell. That's weird, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But I, I'm pretty sure, though, that it's not Citus. Because I, I, I feel pretty confident in saying that Citus is like an add-on on top of Postgres and and their main claim to fame is, I mean, you know, they'll, you can use them as like a, um, a software as a service type of, uh, setup. And it used to be based on like AWS and then Microsoft bought them and they were moving it over to Azure. But their, one of their big features, uh, was the fact that you could do, uh, a multi-tenant database and that they were, they would shard that database on the tenant for you. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. I do see that. Yeah. That they're a leader in Postgres, but not, not necessarily own it, but who, who does is, is Postgres under Linux foundation. Um, it's un- released under its own license. 
under the Postgres maybe it's still one person. It's like Postgres governance. Yeah, I have no idea. There is the Postgres SQL global development group, but this is also too, where like, you know, myself and I'm sure others, like I'm so guilty of like not caring. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like, I love Postgres. I don't need to know who's governing it. Until the time that I do need to own it. And by then I probably like found out because something went sideways and I'm like, Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. It's just kind of strange to me to, to not know like who's behind stuff and like, you know, what motivations maybe they have, like what direction they're going in. Um, so yeah. I don't know. Uh, VS code, I obviously mean, um, Microsoft owns NPM. Have you ever looked at any big project though and thought, Hey, I want to see what the project roadmap is for that. I want to know oh, yeah. what the project roadmap is for Kubernetes. Like, have you ever done that? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, Elastic, like Elastic's really good about publishing like the roadmap and stuff, and so they they are kind of letting you know all the time what's coming, and they do a lot of releases. Huh. But yeah, like I, I listen to podcasts and stuff about Kubernetes, and so I, I'm familiar with like the the bigger things that are kind of coming out, and like Kafka talking about getting rid of okay. Zookeeper. I, I, okay, I'm not going to count podcasts. As, uh, I mean, I get it. But but in that case, like you're listening to a technology specific podcast, and and of course, you know what else are they going to talk about? Of course, they're going to talk about the thing. You know, yeah. upcoming features are going to be like one of the big topics. I, I see that that makes sense. But I'm saying like, you know, pick some other project. Then fine, like React, and you're like, oh, I wonder what they plan, you know, to release in two years from now for React. Like, what's on the roadmap for two years from now? Like, I've never cared to go look at any project like that, unless it was like a software that I needed a feature right now. And, you know, I know that, and I happen to find out like, Hey, they, they're developing it. It's going to be developed in like the next six months or the next year. And then I'm like, okay, fine. Let's, let's keep, uh, you know, I, I, I can, I, I can, I feel okay going with that project. Cause I know that the feature I'm looking for is coming. Right, but, yeah, fair but enough. I, think, I mean, rare. I know there's things that we knew were coming in like C sharp that we we're excited about, like doer features, like. But part of that's kind of running a podcast and you know looking for stuff. So, yeah, I didn't. Re- yeah, I didn't know the npm though. That's. Well, uh, GitHub technically bought it, but they bought it after uh, Microsoft oh, okay. bought GitHub. So another oh. Aqua hire, I think is. Yeah, and that's another example of, like where it can be really hard to know who owns a company because, uh, or who runs a open source project because you find some little company you've never heard of. And then later find out that they're owned by, you know, uh, Oracle or something. I mean, to Microsoft's credit though, I mean, you go to GitHub and you, you could very easily like, you know, a brand new developer or, you know, like, uh, someone who's just starting out, you know, you, you could easily never realize that this is Microsoft. Or that's yep. owned by Microsoft. Um, so why did Microsoft buy them? Well, I mean, I think like I think it makes sense because, like I said earlier, you know, like Microsoft uh, was the hardware and software tailored towards the developers, right? So them staying, Microsoft's goal has always been to make things easier for the developer. Uh, so that way, the developers will continue to use their platforms, and so. If that's GitHub, then it makes sense that they would they would use GitHub. That makes sense to me. Now, uh, while I said that I don't pay attention, I don't like go looking for things. When I do stumble across things like on the roadmap, then I do get excited because one of them I did see for GitHub, which was the uh, 
code spaces, uh-huh. <clears throat> which I see now. I, I went to the homepage just to see what was on there, and I see it. Uh, there's a a thing talking about that where they're they're coming out with that, which is going to be like Visual Studio Code in your browser. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's yeah, going to nice. be awesome. Yeah, it's funny. It's like if you go look at like Microsoft, uh, they have an open source page. Uh, it's kind of crazy how many projects that they don't list that are kind of uh, closely related. Like they don't say anything about Postgres, even though they, you know, they've got Citus, which have open source tools around Postgres. They, they don't say anything about NPM. Uh, it's just kind of weird that they maintain the branding separate for GitHub. Like it's good. GitHub has such a strong identity and they preserved it. Yeah. Yeah. Good. It's on. fine with me. Maybe one day they won't, but, uh, you know, eh, whatever. Anyway, it seems to be working out well for me. I mean, even if you go to the about page for GitHub, though, you still don't realize. I mean, it says headquartered in San Francisco. Yeah. Microsoft isn't headquartered in San Francisco. Nope. So they're still acting very independent. Yeah. So right on. All right. Uh, Google. Are you familiar with any Google projects? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I see your list here, but I mean, obviously, the big, the big, the big ones that we've already talked about: Kubernetes, Angular, uh, Chromium, Android, Go, TensorFlow. Those would be the big ones that come to mind. But I see some other ones that you have here that I'm like, okay, yeah, uh, you know, like you have you have Protobuf and Dart and Flutter and Scaffold. I, I kind of forget Scaffold. Yeah. Um, you know, they don't even list Scaffold. Uh, it's like under some like Google Container Tools. A generic sounding name that has a bunch of other tools. Do you think they're embarrassed by it? That's why. I I don't know. I'm trying to I'm trying to get it top level. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. Did you know Google uh, started Yeoman? I did not. Yeah. Wait. Really? Uh, I believe so. No, it can't be. They had it listed on their website. Really? Yeah. Let's see here. As we as we search the internet let's see what does wikipedia say His yeah primary contributors are re- in the google chrome developer relations team released uh at google io in 2012 so it was released at google io uh which you could only assume means that it was by them but you know that's an assumption yeah, I wonder uh, who it's under now. Uh, so I just found it from their um, original their open source. Yeah, Google. Yep, it's uh, listed under Google Open Source. Huh? I did not realize that. All right, yeah, BSD two. Uh, oh, here's uh, the GitHub repo. Let's see who is under. Oh, it's just under Yeoman. So, uh, yeah. So Google's got a lot. Uh, and uh, so Facebook. Uh, we mentioned uh, React. But they've got uh, a few other things too, like GraphQL, uh, RocksDB. We've talked about Presto a few times. Jest, the big uh, testing library for JavaScript. PyTorch. Oh, that's pretty. I cool. didn't realize PyTorch was was Facebook. Really? Uh yeah. Man, like this is this is what I'm saying. Like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I will. Yep. I will very easily uh take something for granted but yeah it says uh facebook's ai research lab yep which goes by the acronym fair <laughs> it's very funny uh so oracle owns uh java and mysql oh kind of famously 
Yeah. I thought both of those were weird. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Like them taking my sequel felt really weird, but also like when sun was going under in, uh, you know, companies were clamoring to buy it, to buy up sun because they wanted Java. And I remember IBM was one of them back in the day that, that had an interest in it. And, uh, I, I was like, who cares? It's a, it's a language. Like why? Yeah. Why do you, why do you want to own it? I don't care. I don't understand. I don't get it. I still don't. I really don't. There's, they released an enterprise edition. Uh, they, I still don't understand how that, <laughs> that works. I guess maybe they just wanted to make sure that like any, uh, investments that they had already had, that they had already made in Java didn't go away. Uh, if with sun's demise. Yeah. You know, and at the time they bought it, like Java was definitely super hot. So maybe it was kind of like GitHub uh, acquisition by Microsoft. Like Oracle wanted to to kind of get a seat at the table. Yeah, maybe uh, some of the newer tools. So they didn't want to just have the Oracle databases. They kind of diversified into some other popular tools. I mean, would it if it was today though? Well, I guess this is going to be a dumb question, but I, I'm good for that. Um, <laughs> if it was, if it was, if Sun was to go out today, would they just say? to the, like the Apache foundation, like here's Java. We don't want it to die. And then we're going to just shut the doors in peace and quiet. Or would they still sell it? And of course they would still sell it to make the money. Yeah. Like Docker spun off uh, and sold their enterprise division and their services di- division when they were struggling. Um, uh, was it Marantis bottom? Huh. Interesting. Yep. It's weird. So why do corporations publish open source software? <sighs> Street cred. Oh, I don't know. Uh, that's, uh, I think, a valid answer. Uh, also, you know, like some obvious answers like the AWS uh, libraries that we talked about, like where it makes it easier to work with their other tools that they do charge money for. Yeah, I mean, making it easier to to use their tools and then getting hooked on their tools definitely makes a lot of sense. Yep. And Kubernetes, I think, is a really interesting play because uh, Google, like, uh, they're, they're on, like, the number three, number four cloud position. And then they released this really big tool that made it uh, easy to kind of easier than ever before to have like these portable clouds and made it easier right. to switch vendors. And all of a sudden, uh, last place, uh, and it's not so hard to switch. It's like it makes sense for them to release something that kind of like democratizes that a little bit or commoditizes it a bit. And that's so that's a really powerful play from them. Uh, they've also got tools like Angular, we didn't even mention like Material, like a you know, CSS frameworks, like they have a vested interest in people using the internet more and having good tools and good user experiences to keep people on their stuff. Well, I mean, we've, we've met, um, we've talked about it in the past. Like, you know, if you, if you were to use uh, a provider, like an AWS, for example, right. You know, if you're just using them for like VMs and you're still just like spinning up your own VMs and everything, like you're not really taking advantage of what they're offering. Right. But then if you, if you do really take advantage of what they offer, then like their tentacles are really woven into your processes and how you work. And it, it is like a huge effort to move off of that platform and onto something else. And so, yeah, if you, if you have something like a Kubernetes, then you don't have that anymore. Right. You, yeah. Or at least maybe you reduce it a lot, mm-hmm. you know, um, there might be still some parts of, of a provider's, you know, service that you still want to use. So, 
And you can see with Google too, like why they gave Kubernetes over to a foundation. Like maybe part of that is because they want it to kind of be a neutral player. They don't want it to be their tool because they want Azure and AWS to support it. And so they want Azure and AWS to have seats on that board to help make those decisions together to kind of bring them into the fold because they want everyone to use Kubernetes because they want to make it real easy to switch to them. Right, right. Yeah. So that's one reason. Uh, There's some other ones like React, like... Well, you know, why, like, why did Facebook release React? Well, just backing up real quick to the Kubernetes thing, though, by them releasing, by Google releasing it, though, it would also add um, some or giving it to the foundation. Then it would add some kind of credibility to say, like, you know, hey, like, we aren't the, the quote, owners of this thing. Like, we're a contributor and you're welcome yep. to be a part of it, too. Right. Yeah. Gives them a little bit of distance there. Yeah. But yeah. not too much distance. Right. Just and they still have uh, influence. Plausible heard, uh, deniability. <laughs> yeah. You remember <laughs> the expression was that uh, commoditize your compliments. So if you've got these two big competitors and they have all these like managed services that you can't compete with as they're all very specific, well, it kind of makes sense for you to like try and kind of make those irrelevant by releasing something that's so good and generic. Right. Yeah, and it only took like two billion lines of code to do it. So, <laughs> right. um, get started, and uh, yeah, you you could compete. Oh yeah, but why 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 uh, React? I mean, it's a JavaScript library. It's gonna you're gonna figure it out anyways. <laughs> yeah, well, like was part of that maybe uh, Facebook wanting to kind of like improve their image with developers? Maybe I, like I'm just guessing. Like I I really don't know. I mean, I've always thought that from a from a developer point of view, like Facebook, um, you know, regardless of what you think about the 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 dot com, right, uh, in this in social media or anything like that, f- forget that part of it. But from a technology point of view, like they've done some awesome stuff, right? Uh, GraphQL, React, um, Presto, Flux. I, I didn't even realize PyTorch. So, you know. Um, so yeah, I mean, specific to react, why react? I don't know. I mean, I guess if they're already contributing so much else, then why not also add react to it? But, um, maybe part of it too, is just like getting buy-in like, you know, like maybe a motivation for a company is like getting buy-in from others. Like, Hey, how crazy is this idea? And you know, here's what we're doing. And uh, we wanted to share this with the others and get feedback from it. So, you know, but, yeah, because, I mean, there is something to be said about, like, the, you know, the free labor kind of aspect of of releasing it, of, of companies releasing software, you know. Yeah, like Google just wants you to use the Internet more. They want you to search more, browse more, buy more. Uh, Facebook doesn't really want you to leave Facebook, though. So it's, it's, it is kind of an odd conflict for them to release anything that helps other people make better websites. Yeah. I might draw attention away from them. So yeah, maybe street cred. Um, maybe they just, you know, wanted to be more of a tech powerhouse. They wanted to have a couple of big projects there to kind of associate their name with, you know, for either hiring or, or whatever. But I don't know. That one's still, I, I don't have a good answer for it, but you know, yeah. kind of like Oracle when they bought Java, MySQL, like maybe it just had something to do with like them kind of having some influence over these projects. The direction of the web. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy that.
This episode of Coding Blocks is sponsored by Datadog, the unified monitoring platform for increasing visibility into your Postgres databases. Create custom drag-and-drop Postgres databases within seconds so you can visualize highly granular data and custom metrics in real time. Datadog's 400-plus turnkey integrations make it easy to correlate metrics from your Postgres servers and other services throughout your environment. And when we say... I can't emphasize that 400 plus enough. Uh, you know, they have integrations for just about any tool that you want to use. Uh, it's in there. So not even, just even for Postgres SQL, you want one for Postgres, uh, for PG Bouncer. They've got that too. Whatever your needs are, they've got you covered for everything that you're going to want to monitor and include in your dashboards. Yeah. And what I really like about it too is, um, they let you get from that big grand overview down into the details really fast. So you can answer the big questions like, is my stuff working? And if not, you can really quickly find out why not by drilling into these visualizations. Cause that's what it's all about. It's, it's about organizing this information in a way that you can have it be really useful and, and really save your butt. So, uh, yeah, you got to check it out. And not only that, like they really are like the thought leader in all these, uh, you know, in monitoring in general. So if you are having trouble, like, Hey, I want to monitor this with Postgres or I, you know, this with uh, Kubernetes or SQL server or whatever, whatever your technology is that you're trying to do, chances are they have at least five blog articles already written that, that talk about uh, different, um, you know, aspects of monitoring that particular technology. So just a great, uh, resource, a wealth of information on there, not to mention, you know, all the easy integrations that are just right there at the finger, at your fingertips, ready for you to use. So, um, you know, try Datadog. Datadog provides real time service maps and, uh, algorithmic alerts and end to end application tracing. So you can monitor your systems proactively and detect issues before your customers do. And, and let's face it, that, that's, what you want. You, you want to know the problems before somebody else says like, uh, Hey, I tried to give you my money, but you wouldn't take it. So, um, you know, you lost me as a customer, right? Like that, that's what you don't want. Yeah. So start monitoring today with a free 14 trial, 14 day trial, excuse me, and receive a free data dog t-shirt. Super cute. Love the dog. And, uh, you get that after creating just one dashboard. So visit datadoghq.com slash coding blocks to learn more about how you can start monitoring your databases with Datadog. All right. So, uh, it's that time of the show where we ask if you haven't already uh, left us a review, we would greatly appreciate it. We, we really do appreciate reading those. It puts a smile on our face. Uh, you know, just to know, like, if, if we had any impact at all, uh, you know, or, or just, you know, how you enjoy listening to the episode or whatnot. Uh, we, we do greatly enjoy reading those reviews. And, um, so you can find a helpful link at another link, <laughs> which is, uh, are we going by whistle, whistle, whistle now? So yeah, whistle, yeah. whistle, whistle dot, uh, coding net. I feel like Snoop Dogg is reading our, our URL now. Yeah, uh, yeah whistle, whistle, whistle dot codingblocks.net slash review and there's at least one helpful link on there um but uh yeah anywhere where you can leave uh you know whatever however you like to listen to 
your podcast wherever you can leave a review. Uh, we would greatly appreciate it. Um, and if you have already, hey, thank you. Thank you. Um, then you've probably heard your name on the show. Uh, so with that, we head into my favorite portion of the show. Hey, it's dad jokes. Um, <laughs> uh, so, Hey Joe, what did they say to the guy who invented zero? Oh, geez. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. <sighs> Thanks for nothing. Oh man. <laughs> Okay, terrible. All right. Well, yeah, the dad jokes always are. So that that one was contributed by Mike RG again. Nice. Uh, yeah, we should just rename that portion yeah, of the where show. Where did you get that from? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, he He's probably like on some, like all of the uh, dad joke subreddits or something. I'm, I'm sure there's got to be some good ones. Yeah. Maybe he makes them all up. Yeah. Oh, man. That's super creative. That would be impressive. should probably yeah. get a job as a comedian and stop listening to us. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, with that, uh, we head into survey says. All right. So, uh, well, I guess, you know, it just being the two of us, it would be a little odd if I were to uh, ask you a question and, you know, see uh, or ask you like what you thought the survey was and who had the who got closer to it because um, there'd only be the one winner. And somehow I'm still sure that the math of a chicken. <laughs> I can still lose. I can still lose. <laughs> figure out a way to mess that up. So yeah. instead, uh, I think what we'll do is we'll pause on, on going over the previous survey, but uh, we will ask specific to this or to this episode, you know, we're talking about a lot of open source. So this is very topical here. Uh, which company has the best open source projects? And we've narrowed it down to just three for you to choose from. So you got to pick one of these three. So it's either Facebook, Google, or Microsoft. And, and we'll leave it there. Can't don't, don't, don't taint the jury pool. Yep. Uh, yeah. This episode is sponsored by Linode. Simplify your infrastructure and cut your cloud bills in half with Linode's Linux virtual machines. Develop, deploy, and scale your modern applications faster and easier. Whether you're developing a personal project or managing larger workloads, you deserve simple, affordable, and accessible cloud computing solutions. Get started on Linode today with a $100 in free credit for Coding Blocks listeners. You can find all the details at linode.com slash Coding Blocks. And just to be clear, you you heard me correct. That's $100 in free credit when when you go to linode.com slash Coding Blocks. And Linode, uh, Linode has data centers around the world with the same simple and consistent pricing regardless of location. Now, Outlaw mentioned $100 in free credit. I just today set up a three-node Kubernetes cluster that's costing me $30 a month for three nodes. Uh, it's an amazing deal. And by the way, that wasn't the minimum. That just happened to be what I chose. And I set it up in minutes. I got my stuff deployed. It's running great. It was crazy how easy it was to, to do and how cheap you can get that for. Uh, and it's just 
up and running great. I'm still stunned at how easy and, and just good the user experience was. And it gives you a great way to try this stuff out and to uh, actually share your, your server-side code with other people. So, um, you know, I chose the data center that was uh, nearest to me. And um, now that I'm thinking about it, maybe I'm going to change it to the, a data center that's closer to where I'll be presenting uh, for a user group next week because that's what uh, I'm going to be using that cluster for. So, hey, maybe I'll be moving it, and that'll probably take me about five minutes. And uh, you also receive 24-7, 365 human support. That's human support with no tiers and no handoffs, regardless of your plan size. Yeah, and, and Linode's awesome. I mean, we've we've been using Linode for years. This show has literally, uh, you know, Linode has been our backbone for several, several years. And why? Because it's easy, it's cost effective, and it's super, it's been super reliable for us. So, uh, you know, you can choose shared and dedicated compute instances, or you can use your $100 free credit on S3 uh, compatible object storage or managed Kubernetes like uh, you know, Joe is, or, you know, more, there's more, whatever you want to choose to spend it on. I can't stress enough. It's a hundred dollars in free, uh, you know, credit for you by signing up. So if it runs on Linux, it runs on Linode. Visit linode.com slash coding blocks. That's L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash coding blocks and click on the free uh, create free account button to get started. All right. And so uh, the final group I wanted to talk about here were uh, foundations. And foundations, like we mentioned before, are organizations that uh, that own open source projects. And uh, a lot of them have different kinds of uh, with different ways of running governance models. Like we mentioned, the benevolent dictator for life uh, who retired. Uh, now there's a there's a Python foundation responsible for doing that. They have elections. They elect people to make decisions. Uh, but uh, some of the things that foundations are responsible for are code stewardship, like deciding what pull requests to merge, uh, versions, like what's coming out next. Uh, what are we going to support? Sometimes that, you know, like long-term support uh, is really important. Uh, what they're going to still uh, taking contributions for. Uh, planning future versions. Uh, big-time things like, uh, like Kafka announced they were going to get rid of Zookeeper. It feels like two years ago now. We've like, <laughs> been talking about that forever. And it's getting close. But you, in, in order to make a, such a big change like that and do it in a way that doesn't break anybody, you got to take a lot of baby steps to get there, which requires planning. Wait, they, you said they were going to get rid of Zookeeper? Yep, they're getting rid of Zookeeper. I didn't realize that. Yep. And so they're going to start storing the things that they store in, in uh, Zookeeper now in Kafka. <laughs> it's like Kafka on Kafka. And they're going to be moving the leader election type stuff out of Zookeeper into Kafka. But Zookeeper, and, I thought, was used for more than just Kafka. Oh, yeah. So um, it's used for all sorts of stuff, but they're just cutting out as a dependency. Oh, they just out of – just out of Kafka then. Yep. Just out of Kafka. Okay. Zookeeper will still hang around for other uses. Yep. Like today, if you were to set up the most simple Kafka setup, you'd have one broker and one Zookeeper. Gotcha. And they want to get rid of the dependency just to get rid of the dependency. It's not like Zookeeper did anything wrong, <clears throat> but I just want to cut it. I get that. Okay. Uh, so support, I mentioned, uh, you know, bug fixes, stuff like that. Also certification. And when I say certification, there's kind of a couple different ways to do that. Like one, uh, 
there are certificates like the the certified Kubernetes administrator, uh, or there's there's all sorts of certifications that you can get. But uh, a lot of times the foundations are responsible for figuring out what those tests should be, what that testing process should look like, how long those certifications are good for, how much they cost, all that sort of stuff. Also, uh, projects like Kubernetes are really interesting, and then they have uh, certified Kubernetes, where if you're, uh, say, a Linode or a DigitalOcean or somebody who wants to offer Kubernetes, you as a provider have to go out and fill in a lot of blanks so that that Kubernetes can spin up your load balancers or set up your DNS or, you know, do all those various things that have to interact with your cloud service. And there's a, like a huge checklist of criteria you have to meet to, in order to say we offer Kubernetes. So you can't just go and sell Kubernetes as a service without checking these boxes or else they'll probably sue you. And can you imagine, I mean, Kubernetes specifically sounds like it would be a very difficult one for for providers to be able to keep up with because there's so much stuff changing with it mm-hmm. you know i mean not not in a i don't mean that in like a a bad way like like how we've joked about javascript libraries in the past but but just you know even even just maintenance fixes like uh it just seems like it would be an a headache <laughs> you know, to, to keep up with that. Not, you know, you fill out the form the first time and then, you know, by the time you get done, it's time to start over filling it out a second time. Yeah, totally. You know? Kubernetes has this whole thing with version upgrades. Like, uh, you know, someone like a DigitalOcean or Linux can say, hey, we have Kubernetes 1.7 and we'll have support for 1.8. It's not simply a matter of upgrading the software that they're running. They have to go and get recertified, which is kind of a big deal. It's a big process. And that's important because it, it's important because it guarantees that you have a consistent user experience across all these platforms. Because that's kind of the thing with Kubernetes is like they don't want to say like, well, this Kubernetes has these features and these have these features and it like would totally dilute the brand and would be a big mess if there wasn't the sort of process. And you could understand why Google wouldn't want to be the only ones in charge of that because that kind of puts in, in this position of being gatekeeper. And then maybe Azure says, hey, Google's not playing fair because they're not certifying me. But by having this be a third party, this uh, like the Cloud Native uh, Computing Foundation in this case, uh, that helps them move that along. Or worse, it would put Google in a position of trying to maintain the Internet. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. And like nobody, you know, like Google may, maybe doesn't want that. Maybe they do, but uh, Azure and AWS certainly don't want them to. I mean, we could definitely say back in the days when their motto was their their corporate motto was "Don't be evil," then they would. But now we don't know. It's just yep. an unknown. Yep. And uh, I just I like I just set up uh, Linode. Um, I set up Kubernetes on Linode just tonight, and it was really easy, and it just worked. I was able to take my stuff that worked in Docker and just running up in their cluster. And that works because of this whole process, which is really good. Right. Uh, so financial support, all those things that I talked about, you know, like uh, even the hosting, the certification process, uh, security audits, for example, are really important. All that stuff costs money. So <laughs> it's open source, but it can cost a lot of money. And in fact, that uh, CNCF just got like a $3 million grant dollar grant from uh, Google. And that just the most recent grant to run the project under suite of, uh, projects that they run. I wonder if these work, uh, uh, these foundations work as nonprofits. Yeah. Everyone I've looked at has. Okay. Them. Yep. Uh, the, the, sometimes they have salaries though. There can be a lot of people that are employees. Oh no, no, no. I don't mean that the people, uh, you know, aren't paid. 
and don't yeah. have a salary. But I mean, like the foundation isn't trying to make a, a profit. Yep. Found, uh, Linux Foundation, uh, Apache, uh, CNCF, all uh, nonprofits. Okay. Yep. And a lot of them, you'd be surprised. Uh, like I would have assumed that they all, a lot of them have, uh, have full-time positions, but most of them don't. Most are volunteer. And most of the volunteers come from one of those big companies like the Googles, Amazons, whatever. Like um, Linode, I'm sure, has, has representatives on uh, some of these things. And uh, in particular, like, uh, you know, when I say board, I don't necessarily mean that there's five people sitting making all the decisions about Linux. Like <laughs> the board may be over all sorts of other subgroups and committees and stuff that kind of funnels things up. And ultimately them as like the executive, uh, you know, people that sign the checks or whatever. But uh, it's complicated and big. Yeah. I mean, uh, just trying to even keep up with like something as simple, well, simple, uh, something the size of a browser, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that that alone sounds, you know, difficult Nightmare. just because not only everything that you might want to introduce into the browser, but then keeping up with all the JavaScript standards, all the HTML standards, the CSS standards, you know, like, Ah, yeah, oh uh, yeah, it's crazy. And uh, think about too the liability. Like, open source projects get sued, and sometimes open source projects sue. You can imagine if somebody starts, uh, you know, bootlegging or releasing software as like Angular that isn't really about Angular, or uh, you know, it's maybe um, using the brand in ways that uh, aren't allowed. You know, you know, we are jerks. There's yeah. a big one that we haven't even discussed. I don't think we've mentioned it once. Who? I'll give you three seconds. See if you can guess. Okay. Mozilla. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think we've said Mo- Mozilla yet. Like how, like yeah. Firefox. They're literally came uh, to mind as when I, when I said the, when I mentioned the browsers and I was like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Who funds Mozilla? That's like, that's kind of Netscape a little bit. Uh, so I know Google, uh, is a big backer of, uh, Mozilla. I don't know who else though. But the, yeah, they're a nonprofit, uh, but they have tons of employees that do stuff. They made Rust, they do Firefox, they have Firefox oh, VPN and all sorts of other services too. And But what's funny about uh, Firefox in particular, if you go to their website, uh, Firefox Foundation, or sorry, um, uh, Mozilla Foundation, and look at their projects, they don't really list their technical projects. They list like the the things that they're fighting for, like privacy and open source. And like, that's kind of like the, the things that they want to highlight as opposed to these other projects that are more about the project. So it's, it's almost like Mozilla is almost like a, I don't want to say a political organization, but uh, they definitely have the a mission. Yeah. It's like they're lobbying the internet for things. Yep. And in addition, you know what Mozilla does that's particularly interesting is they do a lot of funding of other projects. So if you have a project that fits in with their vision, you can write to them and say like, hey, uh, I've got a project idea um, that is going to fight against the disparities in YouTube's recommendation uh, AI. I'm going to call it YouTube regrets. Let me uh, let me apply for a grant. And in this case, it looks like this is a real project. Mozilla's like, yeah, sure, here's uh, some money so you can work on that for a while. Did you just make that up off the top of your head? No, that's actually a real one that they've got on our website. Oh, okay. <laughs> yep. I, what is YouTube regrets? I've never heard of that. Yeah, I don't know if this is a software project. There's like a big blog entry about it um, that's got like a like a list of like 
kind of 10 horror stories dealing with like YouTube and just bad things that have happened and how they want to, how they want to protect it. Like safety, educational videos. Um, yeah. What we fund. So there's literally a form where you can go ask for money to make something to make the internet better. If you can reimagine, reconstitute, or rebalance power online, go ahead and uh, submit, and maybe you'll get a fellowship or an award. Hmm. Yeah, it's pretty cool, right? Uh, so most big open source projects that you can think of run under some sort of foundation. Uh, Facebook is the only one I didn't see them really giving up any other projects to the foundation, but also many other projects like are kind of, they're not like a Kubernetes or something where you could see why, you know, like the, the, it's like react. What does react hurt from being owned by Facebook other than perhaps the branding? Well, hmm, yeah. I mean, I guess in that case, are they trying to, uh, you know, distance themselves because of like, you know, political type reasons, right? You know, are they playing, are they, are they trying to be able to say like, Hey, no, we, we aren't, uh, you know, the, the ones controlling this project, but maybe in the case of like a react, they're like, no, we're fine controlling it. So I just looked actually GraphQL is a foundation now called the GraphQL foundation. See, is there a react foundation? No, there's not. So that is still, uh, that's still Facebook as far as I can tell. Yeah. Oh, what was okay. the uh, what was the one that uh, Alan um, Presto and you? Yeah, Presto. Is that still under Facebook? I thought it was. I'm still looking for React. So there's a Presto Foundation. Okay, so Facebook has created uh, foundations, and Presto is underneath the Linux Foundation. I bet you that GraphQL Foundation is also under the Linux foundation. Let's see. Wait, you it said it's, <laughs> it's under Linux foundation. Yeah. We'll talk about, uh, maybe we should just talk about it now. Uh, the Linux foundation, as far as I can tell, it's like the umbrella foundation for so many other foundations. Uh, Mozilla might even be under Linux foundation. Let me see. I don't know. Uh, cloud native computing foundation. They're the ones that have Kubernetes and a bunch of other stuff. They're under the Linux Foundation. Okay, but what is being under the Linux Foundation by me? Like, they're I've just, just sub, developed my just brand big. new my brand new project um, that I <clears throat> I want to make it open source. I want to contribute back to the world. Um, releasing the first version of it at the um, Coding Blocks game. Jim, 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 you weary. Yep. Um, <laughs> And uh, so, you know, I want to go to the Linux Foundation. Like, why them over Apache Foundation? Uh, Apache might be under Linux Foundation. What? <laughs> Let's go see. Yeah. Really? Under Linux Foundation. I don't know. I mean, we'll look. Uh, Apache is one of the oldest ones. Uh, okay, so they are not um, They are not uh, directly affiliated, although it appears they're good friends. Uh, so, if you are... Uh, Let's say you're releasing a game open source uh, and you want it to give gift it to a foundation. Then you may go and talk to like a Linux foundation and say, hey, you guys have a lot, a lot of experience. 
with open source governance, running projects, I've got a project that makes sense for you. And they're going to take a look at it and say, you know, yay or nay. But if they say yes, they'll say, you know what, this makes a lot of sense for us. We're going to take on because it's either really popular or we think it's really important or whatever. Then they're going to assist you and they're either going to say this fits in with one of our other foundations. Like you should go in with this other game foundation that we've got set up that has similar projects. Or they might say this is kind of its own thing. We're going to work with you and set up a board and uh, we'd like you to have some representation, maybe some other people that have similar interests. We'll get them um, get them all set up and we'll set this up as like a little sub foundation nonprofit. And, you know, at this point, uh, we'll have it be a separate nonprofit because it just helps keep the kind of the books organized and uh, helps with legal liability. But that's how I imagine the Linux Foundation kind of operating. It's like they're this big parent that knows how to run these things really well. Hmm. Let's see if the Python Foundation is under the Linux Foundation. I mean, I'm looking at this list and, you know, you, you scroll through it a few times and you got to hit the view more several, yeah. several times. And it, um, some of those foundations have foundations. Like, so. you, well, I'm saying like you scroll through the page and you, you scroll, you scroll, you scroll, you scroll, you scroll. You finally get to the bottom and realize, oh, I'm still in the C's. Yeah. Like I haven't gotten past, I haven't even gotten to the D's yet. I'm still looking at C, you know, companies that start with this or foundations that start with C or projects that start with a C. Like, yep. That's insane. Uh, so uh, the Linux foundation claims 13 million lines of code added. You want to guess the unit of time? A month. Week. Wow. 13 million a week. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty crazy. Uh, 10.5 millions of uh, lines of code deleted weekly, 18,000 contributing companies. Those either projects or money or work. 241,000 contributing developers. Have you heard of Kubernetes? Yeah. Yeah. That's one they claim. What well, that's a, a weird one because it's also cloud native competing foundation. What about Node.js? Ever heard of Node.js? Oh um, yeah, I've heard of it, but so that's one that, that is part of cloud native or part of you're saying it's part of the Linux foundation. It's under their umbrella. I think they run under the Node Foundation, which is like, yeah, another foundation that runs under the Linux Foundation, but uh, Linux Foundation claims it. I'm still looking to see I, I, for React in here, and I didn't find it. Nope. But, I mean, there's so many awesome ones that I do see here. Like, I mean, you can't help but, like, recognize a name. Like, there's Prometheus. Here's RethinkDB. Uh, I saw Strimzy in here. Mm-hmm. Like there's also uh, some other projects. Like if you drill into some of these, a lot of them aren't necessarily open source projects, but like let's encrypt is a Linux foundation project. It's not really open source per se, but it's really important for open open source. Okay. Now yeah, wait you just scroll through here. It's pretty insane. Yeah, it just keeps on going and going and going. Yeah, there's so (laughs) there's so many names here. It's like, geez. Yep. I did find a reactive uh, foundation. Yeah, but I don't. 
it's hard to tell. Like their logo is kind of a play on the React logo, but they never mentioned React JS. So I'm thinking like, okay, maybe it's just coincidentally like it's it's definitely not the same thing. Uh, I see the GraphQL uh, Foundation, and I see GraphQL's uh, dot JS. Oh yeah, GraphQL was in there several times. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I see. Yeah. 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 They got four entries. <laughs> GRPC. Hey. Like, and that's something I don't understand. Like, why? Why? Why do you need so many different foundations for it then? Or, or well, I guess those are different projects under the one foundation. Those hey, sub- our boy Jenkins. <laughs> jQuery. Hey. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. So foundations are an important thing then. Yeah, absolutely. For all the, the reasons just memorized, but are mentioned. <laughs> so there, I memorized I, I mean, them. Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm just in the ends now and uh, yeah, there's still uh, no end in sight. And just like it we said earlier, all right. Like, this is not everything. This is not updated to the second. Like if you just go look at like, the cloud native foundation, which we mentioned a few times, it's one of the foundations under here. They have some of the bigger projects mentioned, but not all of them. I mentioned that tool scaffold from Google. Like it was kind of buried under this other, like generically named container tools. Yeah. So scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. All right. So, uh, so the foundations then are typically funded by large corporate backers that, yeah, I mean, I'm sure they probably have a uh, Patreon or something too, but no, yeah, it's definitely the money is coming from big companies for sure. Well, I mean, no, but you say that, but like if you wanted to contribute, like what if you just wanted to be like, hey, I want to give, uh, you know, a cup of coffee a, a, a week to this foundation or, you know, to my to my foundation of choice. I know you could do that through GitHub a little bit, assuming that the project or the organization has signed up for it. Um, let's see. So they don't, I don't see a donate link on Linux foundation. Well, I think you become a, a member member. Yeah. That's what I'm going to guess. Cause they have different member levels, platinum and uh, gold, silver. So the different metal and let's see, I'm trying to find a price for it. Oh, yeah. Platinum will get you a seat on the board of directors. Oh, okay. Sweet. So I'll just, I'm just going to sign up to be platinum membership then. Yeah, it doesn't say how much it's uh, for. Well, you know what they say. If you got to ask. Oh, yeah. 50 user subscriptions uh, annually for unlimited certification exams valued at $60,000. Where did you find that? I was just looking at the platinum benefits. Uh, legal benefits. Three invites for your in-house counsel. <laughs> so they've just they're just assuming that you've got a legal team. Bi-monthly well, legal calls. I mean, those same that same. I see similar dollar amounts listed under the gold, though. Yeah, training benefits, fifty user group subscription annually for unlimited e-learning plus fifty certification exams valued at sixty thousand dollars. Let me find a list of like the platinum members. Well, that's where. Yeah, you can. You could. You could say click on meet our members and. uh you can see who the members are, which they're all like companies. Yeah. Tencent. There's not that many. The, the platinums, there's only, uh, four times 12. Well, wait for the page to finish loading. 12, 15. Yeah. 15 for platinum. No, no, no. Wait for the page to finish loading. 
The, the next one is gold. It starts with Accenture. So Google is only a gold partner. Oh, well, I mean, for me, it took, there was lifetime platinum members of which there were the 15, but then the page loaded and it jumped up a bunch more. Oh, I only see the 17 for, for uh platinum, but then yeah, no, I mean, no, no. I'm talking about Arduino's in here. <laughs> I'm talking about just overall the, yeah. Oh yeah. Overall. Oh yeah. Like, the, like as soon as the rest loaded in, the page jumped down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, silver. Yeah. The, the number of silver. Maybe Cone Blocks can get that silver. What do we get for silver? I mean, like, like here's one. Like, maybe they, they spent their money on this, and then, uh, you know, who knows what happened to them. But, like, Ericsson, that's a company you don't hear about anymore, right? Yep. Like, that used to be, they used to be a big deal back in, like, the mm-hmm. early 2000s. But then I thought they, they got bought, I, or at least maybe there was just, like, a partnership with Sony, maybe. Because you always heard about the Sony Ericsson's for the phones. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, they're a lifetime platinum member, even if they <laughs> uh, aren't a thing anymore. Yeah, so coding blocks, uh, we'll go for the silver. But the benefits are, like, potentially you get a seat. You can get voted in, but you can nominate. Uh, number two is visibility. And then the other benefits are, like, you support us. <laughs> you support open source security. Uh, you enable us to. So it's basically like a donation, which which is great. Hey, Ericsson still is a thing. You do get discounts on things like uh, event sponsorships. That's interesting. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, the Linux Foundation is also the stewards of the Linux kernel. But some of, big deal there. some of these companies, though, like you'd be surprised to like, okay, there's going to be a bunch of companies in here that, you know, no surprise, right? Like, Oh, Facebook is a lifetime platinum member. Oh, what a surprise, right? Yeah. No, you're, you, that one just makes sense. But then you'll see like a Toyota as yeah. a lifetime gold member. You're like, huh, here's a, there's a bank <laughs> as a lifetime gold member. Yeah. And you know, banks aren't exactly known for their charity. So, so yeah. it makes you wonder, it's like, what, like, what do these companies benefit you know, like, you know, presumably, of course, like they use open source software and they want it to be better and safer. But, uh, you know, they could save probably a lot of money by just not sponsoring and things would probably still be good. But I, I guess, I don't know. But, but now do you look down on some it. when you see like, you know, if they're, if they're not a lifetime platinum, because like, you know, you scroll through the list and you see Apple. And they're only a silver. You're like, come on, Apple. Come You're on, Apple. I mean, like, literally, still the most valuable company on the planet. Are they not? Yeah. <laughs> and and you couldn't like fork it over to become lifetime platinum. Come on, come yep. on. Uh, AWS is also a silver. Yeah. Well, maybe they have ADP, a limit on the number. I can't imagine that they would have a limit on it, but maybe they do on the number of platinums that they want. Oh, there's Datadog in there. <laughs> yep. Which yep. makes sense. Hey, I see a uh, company that we work for. <laughs> Companies that we've worked for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is, uh, I've, I've never bothered to look at this before, and now I can't stop scrolling through the list of all the names. Yeah, the logos are cool. Yeah, it's got to the D's too. 
That's funny. I'm going to scroll to the end and look for some surprises. Well, I mean, like, it, it's the weird ones, though, that I was looking for, like, you know. Walt Disney? I guess some of the car ones do make sense, though. Like, because now I'm looking like, okay, there's Mazda. Like, maybe because of all of the stuff that they're using for, like, um, the infotainment systems these days, you know? Yeah. Uh, so maybe it makes sense. I guess I guess nowadays your car does care more about uh, open source than it used to. But I guess it's possible that some of these projects literally want to buy a seat on the table uh, table for very specific, uh, very specific projects. Like maybe Toyota has a very vested interest in one of those thousands of foundations that we'd never heard of before. That's super important to their business. Yeah, I had to put the list away. Uh, I was yeah. I was getting too focused on it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So like we said, uh, typically they're funded by large corporate backers and, uh, yeah, you, you'll find a lot. So the, the, uh, show notes are gonna be loaded with just like links pointing to, to things like this. Um, you know, WordPress has, has its own foundation. <clears throat> I mean, it should, they've got like three quarters of the internet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've got, um, I did go look up like the kind of the most common governance, uh, patterns, um, or, um, yeah, patterns. Uh, BFDL, um, Benevolent Dictator for Life, so Python, um, pretty much any small project that any person has started is basically that. Like, if you just put a, a project up on GitHub, then it's BDFL, you know. You have the final say, you're the only one that can contribute, so by definition, that's your governance model. Uh, meritocracy, uh, let's... Uh, by the way, these, these are not like hard, like black and white definitions. It's like I, I've got a link to the article I got this from, but uh, there's several other articles that have like different notions and diff- they split it up differently. But uh, meritocracy was basically like active contributors are given decision making power. And so someone decides to kind of spread out um, and they have uh, votes. So if they want to add a new contributor, then there's going to be some sort of vote behind closed doors and they'll say, hey, welcome to the club. Okay. So. If you wanted to be able to have a vote, you'd have to become very active to it, which makes sense. Yeah. I mean, the people that are very active, they probably have the most uh, intimate knowledge of the inner workings. Yep. And so that's one that. great argument. And that's how Apache runs all their stuff. So if you're an active contributor, we decide, you know, someone who who knows that project well is going to decide to bring you into the fold. There is another way. Liberal contribution. So these are projects that seek consensus without having a, a big formal vote. And the idea here is that they want to bring in more diverse opinions. So rather than having votes behind closed doors or, you know, in secret chat rooms, they'll try to be more inclusive. They'll actually campaign and they'll try to get people to agree or disagree or uh, try to build consensus, which can be chaotic, but also brings in new ideas and new forks and kind of brings in fresh blood and makes the people who use the project more involved in the decision-making process and node and rust were mentioned specifically. Okay. So maybe a little bit harder to do big changes, but, um, uh, interesting. All right. And that's just garbage. Uh, so I've got a couple of uh, foundations here. I want to call out. So Apache, you know, we mentioned the, the kind of governance they've got, the you know, roughly like a meritocracy type. They do have a big uh, diagram up on their website, actually, where you can kind of see like exactly how things like, where's the diagram here? Um, 
Oh, I'm not going to try to describe it anyway, but they've got like <laughs> memberships and boards and committees and executive officers and corporate officers. And they actually have a, here it goes, an organization chart, uh, which like, I mean, I'm not saying I'm good at, at charts, but <laughs> this is not a pretty chart. And it's just because oh, it's complicated, man. like lines cross lines and, oh, I do have a link to it. Dang it. Okay. Okay. It's, it's a, it's a weird way of normally, normally you see org charts. It's more like the stuff flowing down, but this is like how it flows back up. Yeah. Yeah. It just kind of throws about. So like, yeah, usually charts help make things make more sense. <laughs> There's a vice president of travel assistance and fundraising and publicity and infrastructure. And they have staff and legal counsel and. Yeah, PMCs, whatever that is. So just kind of interesting to see how big it is for Apache. <laughs> and um, they have a couple charts on the, the front of the website, actually, uh, if you go to their projects page, uh, that show like kind of stats like on language and types of projects. So 58% of the Apache projects are Java. Uh, do you know that? So uh, underneath their projects, they have some ones you might have heard of, like HTTP. <laughs> so literally the Apache web server, uh, Kafka, Spark, Flink. And Spark and Flink are interesting because they are like direct competitors. They're two streaming platforms for doing data processing that have slightly different, not even that different, uh, takes on how to do things. Uh, they also have multiple different languages, uh, Groovy, Avros encoding. They do log for J, log for net, log for PHP, log for a couple others. Uh, Maven, Lucene, Solar, a couple others. I'm just, I mean, that's just some that I got from scrolling through their 350 plus projects. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And they've got a, a big list on the website. I mean, I, th- I think that <clears throat> I would, I would, I would guess that for, uh, those that have been around for a bit longer, like, you know, Apache and HTTPD were like synonymous for so long. Yep. Yep. Before Nginx. Yeah. I was going to ask like, who's the, cause that you didn't list Nginx. So who is controlling that one? Yeah. That's a good question. You know, there really is no formal, like official way to look, look this stuff up. It's, I mean, it's not weird. I understand like why there isn't a standard for it, but it's, just kind of weird to not know. <laughs> yeah, it's under its own Nginx. Is it? 55. Uh, yeah, just in GitHub. It's not under like a Microsoft or something. Nginx. Board of Directors. They have a board of directors. From Goldman Sachs. <laughs> Uh, some other companies I've never heard of. Huh? Yeah, I don't know. Oh, uh, F five bought them. Okay. Wow. Okay. And I know what F five is, and we'll move on. Uh, they make routers and stuff like networking. <laughs> Uh, you could say that, but in, in my mind, they are a race team and they drive a very cool looking 
uh, race car that's white and it has a, a red M across the hood and uh, number five on the side. I know one's like screaming. I think they, uh, I think they're known for their firewalls. I, I don't know. I don't like, I don't actually know what routers are or firewalls, <laughs> what they do. I think I saw a movie in the 90s about firewall. <laughs> oh, yeah. Harrison Did you Ford click on that little pie symbol on the, the bottom right? <laughs> Shift click it. Yep. And there you go. You got a firewall. Uh, so another uh, foundation that we like to talk about is the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, which is newer. They kind of got started when uh, Google gave them Kubernetes. And Google kind of, like, with the Linux Foundation, created this foundation for Kubernetes and Cloud Native Technologies. So uh, also Helm is a part of this, which we mentioned. There's a lot of overlap with these companies. So um, Helm, Microsoft, Kubernetes, Google, uh, Prometheus. I don't know where it started, but now it's uh, under uh, Cloud Native uh, Foundation, Open Tracing, FluentD, uh, and a ton of projects that like start with a K or have a very prominent K because there's a lot of Kubernetes tools that are in there. You know, we've talked about customize. <laughs> yep. That's one Kube of them. Cuddle. Uh, yeah. So Linux Foundation, we talked about them quite a bit. Yeah, they're just over so many. And it's, it's kind of funny to see them kind of not, I don't want to say claim, but like the ones that be like, hey, can we work on these projects? And you'll see immediately that there's like ones that you've seen in other foundations while researching. It's like, wait, what the heck's going on here? And that's how it kind of ended up falling down that rabbit hole. Well, I mean, yeah, it, it's just like maybe they're like the large umbrella foundation for a bunch of other ones. And they'll like group things up into smaller groups as it makes sense. And that becomes, you know, here's the cloud native computing foundation because all of these technologies made sense to group together. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe. So, uh, you know, what kind of one last question here is, uh, so, you know, we talked in the beginning, like about the kind of impressions that developers might have about open source. Like, how do you feel about that impression? Has your impression of open source and who makes open source and what you think of open source changed since having this discussion? Um, no, but it is, it is like seeing all the people that were the members of, of the Linux foundation, I mean, it was, it was eye opening to see like all the people that were, you know, that might have a seat on the board of that. Right. And like, you know, kind of question like, huh, I wonder, you know, why, why does Toyota care? You know? Yeah. It's kind of interesting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, why, I'll, I'll admit to- why, why doesn't, sorry, but why doesn't Apple care more? Right. Like what, what's mm-hmm. the rationale behind some of those decisions, you know? Yeah, I can't explain. I mean, if you think of Apple as a hardware company, wouldn't they have an interest in making software easy and easy to make well? Like, you would think so. Doesn't Xcode still cost money? It's like, even if it's like five bucks, it's kind of like a weird. No, Xcode's free. Okay. But in order to publish on their platform. If you want to, if you want to, uh, as I remember it, it's, it's been a minute. But if you wanted to uh, deploy code to your phone, to a device, then uh, in order to be able to sign it to get it onto the device, you were going to have to pay. But I think, I think even there, though, there was a way to like you could do that. Uh, I guess it really only mattered if you wanted to submit it to the App Store. Yeah. Can you imagine Google saying, like, just pay $99 if you want to have a website every year <laughs> uh, and have it be searchable? Like that would, that's totally weird, right? To even think of that. 
Yeah. Or, so, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I'll admit I've seen uh, Linux Foundation a million times in articles on like Hacker News or Reddit or whatever. And I always just assume they like published a dinky magazine or something. <laughs> like, Linux Foundation sounds like a bunch of nerds. And I know actually they uh, run all, pretty much all the open source software in the world. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely have uh, learned a lot about it as a, as a part of this. Or, you know, it's like really opened my eyes up to what it is versus what it isn't. Yep. So, all right. Well, uh, as we've said, we're going to have a truckload of links to uh, um, things you know specific to this episode. And with that, we head into Alan's favorite portion of the show. It's the tip of the week. Oh, okay. Hey, got mine. So uh, apparently I've never shared this as a tip of the week. I love a plugin for VS Code named Peacock. It's from John Papa. It lets you change your VS Code colors per project. And what that means is that uh, you can say you have two VS Code editors and they look the same. You can do Control-Shift-P and set the color to one of them to, say, yellow or something. And then uh, from then on, it's going to save that to a a private hidden file in that project in that directory. And every time you open that up, it's going to be that color. So it just makes it really easy to kind of keep your stuff separated so you're not getting confused about which project you're in if you're hopping around. Now, I have been using this plugin since you uh, showed it to me Um, because I I was going in, uh, you know, like like a like a a caveman and just manually editing the workplace settings uh workspace settings myself to change the colors but uh how do you change have you have you noticed though that like if you open up a new instance of visual studio like or visual studio code so not specific to any particular path like it still uses one of those other color themes I I didn't notice that. Maybe I'm just using it wrong, but yeah, like if I, uh, uh, now I'm curious to go back and check if there's something I can change to fix yeah, that. Yeah, if I start a new project and uh, like a, do a new clone, like mine is just the default kind of Really? Gray. Yeah. Okay, now I'm jealous. Okay. Meet me out in the parking lot after school at 315 and could yours be because you were changing around some colors and stuff maybe some default settings got changed um i didn't i I don't recall noticing it before that but yeah i don't know maybe maybe i i the last time i was changing the colors i messed something up i don't know all right well yep Oh, and you could do favorite colors. You could do random colors. You can pick angular red or react blue or whatever. Uh, yeah. You can do lighten or darken. And if it's a, a light background, it will have black text. If it's a dark background, it'll have light text. And so well, just really good user experience. That was the reason that, that made me switch to it was because I was mainly setting those colors, but then like the text on like the, say the toolbar, right? Or the title bar, you know, I, I would have to go and change that. Whereas Peacock would automatically change those for you uh, based on like whatever the background color was that you would pick. It would change those text colors appropriately um, to make it more legible. And, um, but like you said, I, I did go and create like uh, custom favorites. So I could say like, Hey, you know, here's like a, you know, uh, a Facebook blue or something like that. You know, if you, 
And then when you're in a particular project, you can say like, Hey, which project, which color do you want to use? And you can select from your favorites and you would see like Facebook blue. Right. So, uh, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool plugin. All right. So, uh, this one was, uh, shown to me by a friend of ours and I thought like, okay, this is definitely, I even joked with him at the time. I'm like, Oh, this is the tip of the week right here. Uh, because this one is, is like outside of our normal things, but yet, uh, still like every one of us are engineers at heart. So we will appreciate this, but it's sketchup.com and you can, uh, for free, you can create 3d models of your projects that, that you're, uh, you, you're working on or you want to build, Right. And 3D models that are like accurate in terms of like, uh, uh, you know, to scale, right? So, like, if I were going to do some 3D printing or something, like, what would I use this for? No, no, no. no okay, great question. So, uh, you know, our, our friend Bobby that showed me showed me this. He was building a new deck in his backyard. But he was going to like have, you know, maybe some benches and some stairs over here and like here was going to be some planters and, you know, things like that. Right. Uh, and, you know, a water feature and he was able to like draw all that out to scale. Right. And it was it was like, you know, um, but also the, the software had like textures that you could apply to the different things to kind of like get a feel for it. And then he was able to take that and then send it to like a you know, any, anybody that he wanted to get a, a, to bid on the project and just say like, this is what I'm trying to build. This is what I want to build, uh, you know, to this scale, to the, to this look. And, you know, just tell me and like, you know, you can see at the bottom there, you know, here's a legend and, uh, tell me what it would cost. Right. But like, how many times have you ever built a, something for the house? Right. And, you know, as you get into it, you're like, oh, uh, I mismeasured here or like uh, this is too short or too long or whatever. Right. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't even do it because of that. Oh, <laughs> never. OK. Yeah. Well, I'm terrible at all that. I, I always find myself like measuring 50 times and then I'm like, dang it, I should have measured a 51st. <laughs> but anyway, so I thought this was super cool. So now I'm like, OK. I have definitely got to uh, go spend some time learning this thing because this would be awesome for all my future projects. Cause I've got some stuff that I want to do um, around the house and, and you know, our, our engineering nerdness knows no bounds. Let's be honest. Like we're going to, we're going to geek out on everything that we do. <laughs> that's what, we're, that's, that's just how we are engineered. Like if we're going to build a desk, we're going to like, draw it and spec it out and maybe even like, you know, figure out some way to, you know, use some kind of augmented reality tool to be like, Hey, what's this going to actually look like inside of my office? Oh, that's what it looked. Okay. Yes. I definitely want that. You were going to build it anyways, but now you're like, Oh, I can see it. I definitely still want to do it. Right. So I don't, I don't have that bone on my body. Oh, I come wish on. I did. What? I'm agile. No, I just, I just buy something when I'm tired of thinking about it. And then sometimes I regret it and sometimes I replace it. And sometimes I just, don't think about it again. I, I do. I do enjoy. I've always enjoyed woodworking projects. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of other projects that I'm, I'm not as into, you know, like metalworks type projects. I'm like, eh, whatever. Yeah. Mm, not me. But yeah. It, unless it has a control Z, you know, it'll undo. I don't, I just don't mess with it. Well, here you go with SketchUp. You could, I'm sure, you know, yeah, you right. could undo your stuff if you wanted. 
I think I knew somebody who used it for 3D printing because I've seen it before. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's what they were doing with it. I, I don't know about for 3D printing. Like, uh, you know, uh, Bobby showed me the project that he was doing, and I was like, "Wait, where did you use to draw this?" And that's when he showed he he shows to me. And I'm like, "Oh man, my my Saturday is going to be spent just trying to figure out, you know this thing out." He said it does have a slight learning curve to it, but he's like, "Once you get the hang of it, you know, you're you're in." So. Now, because I've got, you know, like I said, I've got some projects I want to do around the house that I'm like, hmm, I wonder, like, even even if I were to just do what he did and just, you know, draw it out and then be able to take it to somebody else and say, like, hey, what do you think? Like, what would you charge to build this thing? You know? So, yeah. All right. Well, with that, uh, you know, stay tuned for more information. Well, actually, no, don't stay tuned for more information because uh, this was the episode coming out right before the coding blocks game jam 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 you wary you can uh, go play the games so yeah um, um, we'll have some youtube videos of stuff of us like playing uh you know winners or whatnot you, well everybody's a winner but Real- uh <laughs> you need to you need to uh sign up and be a part of the game january uh and uh yeah let's have fun so with that, uh, subscribe to us. If you haven't already, maybe somebody, you know, handed a device to you or, a, you know, passed over a URL or something like that. Uh, so if you're not already subscribed, uh, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you like to find your podcasts. And, uh, you know, as I said before, we would greatly appreciate it if you left us a review. Um, you can go to Snoop Dogg's favorite URL, whizzlewizzlewizzle.codingblocks.net slash review. And uh, while you're at codingbox.net, check out our show notes, our examples, our discussion, all the amazing stuff that's there. And send your feedback, questions, rants to slash Slack, and uh, follow us on Twitter at CodingBlox or go to CodingBlox.net. Find a bunch of links because uh, after the game jam, we don't have anything planned. Maybe maybe we'll come up with something. I don't know, but that's a good way to, to stay tuned and find out. 